0: So I was thinking about this. Like, it's funny. Um, however, you are raised, you sort of conform normality to that, right? I don't know if you recognize that or not, but like, however you are raised is the is what you think is normal, and and when that comes to a crashing halt, usually is is when you get married or when you have a roommate, right? All of a sudden, you realize that their normal and your normal are different. And so, like, one of the things that I realized when we got married is that one of the ways that you can divide families, types of families, is there's, there's two kinds of families. Will you throw that first slide up there for me, Matt? There's two kinds of families, right? There's Dr. Pepper families and Dr. Thunder families. This, if you don't know what Dr. Thunder is, you're a Dr. Pepper family. And if you do know what Dr. Thunder is, you can, you can totally understand why. If you'll notice, the only Dr. Thunder image I could find was so pixelated. <laughs> They're like, it's fuzzy. Get bar- Who knows what Dr. Thunder is? Raise of, ha- raise of hands, Dr. Thunder. Yeah, J- Daniel is like me. He's like, of course I know what Dr. Thunder is. Went to college. There was a Walmart in the town. I know it. Yeah, Dr. Thunder, if you don't know, is the Walmart version of Dr. Pepper. And I was raised in a Dr. Thunder home, and my wife was raised in a Dr. Pepper home. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. that's a big part of my life growing up. Throw the next one up there. What do you got? Now you had like, so, so here's where it got really real, at least in my life is that I don't, I don't know if you guys would know this, but I know exactly how much Johnson's and Johnson's tear-free baby shampoo cost when I was growing up because it, it was almost always in the shower um, that I used that I, that I shared uh, with my father and it was what he would buy and he would leave the tags on there. I don't know if, if it was to brag or what, but like the actual like tag, you would just see it sort of like slowly just soften off. And it was 99 cents, easy. 99 cents Johnson's Johnson's tear-free baby shampoo was what I used in my hair. Sometimes maybe when dad got a bonus, we went up to PERT or PERT plus, but mostly it was Johnson's and you can see how that worked out. But, so, but, but then when things were tight, we went to equate. Do you guys know what equate is? Do they even make equate? Is that still a thing? No, you know, because we still do some of it. Um, But that's how like much my family was. My dad, one of my dad's slogans was it's the same ingredients. It's the same ingredients. That's what he would say. He would say, you look on the bottle, you look on the thing, it's the same ingredients. And so that was always my thought. And so when I first started shopping with my wife, like, I would see whatever the store brand version of something was and saw that it was 50 cents less, and I would immediately get it, and she would immediately take it out of the cart and put it back. And this was our shopping experience, the first fight we ever had was around the, uh, was around cost. I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but it was around cost. And it was in the middle of a Walmart. It was our first fight. We were like three weeks into our marriage and she wanted to get something. And I said it was too much. And she got mad at me and started to walk away. And I, like an idiot, reached out to like stop her and grab her arm. And she yanked it away from me. And in Walmart, if you can imagine, yelled, don't touch me. (laughs) And I was like, that's it. I'm getting arrested. That is it. This is how we're starting our marriage. But, but it's because we came from different families. And I came from a family that, um, that I, we didn't talk about money, but there was always this sort of like hovering idea around it. We never talked about it. And so growing up, like, I I really thought, like, are we going to make it for the next week? Are we going to make it for the next month? And then slowly, as I got older, what I realized was that, I mean, I love him and I've benefited from these. So, Dad, if you're watching or you watch this later, sometimes my dad watches this. I love it and i benefited. But one of the things I learned later on down the road, like, was that my dad was a season ticket holder for the University of Georgia football team. Yeah, season tickets. And like when I was a kid, I was like, oh, okay. But then as you get older, you're like, those are expensive. Like those cost some amount of money. And then I remember like the real kicker for me was when my dad, for most of my life, his uniform outside of work was khaki pants and a Georgia polo. And that was what he wore. And then when I was in college, I found out how much like an officially licensed Georgia polo shirt costs. And I'm going to tell you, I've never spent that much money on a short in my life. And so I looked at my dad and I said, you're fooling me. Like you're, you're something's <laughs> going on here. Like things are not as they seem, right? But I never knew. Like I never knew. It's funny, my sisters and I were having a talk recently and we were like, I don't know, like our parents could be the wealthiest people in the world or they could be on the verge of bankruptcy and we would never know. Like we just have no idea because that was something you did not talk about in my home. We talked about politics all the time. We talked about religion all the time. We talked about each other all the time, but we did not talk about money, right? We just never talked about it. And and like to this day, like it is not something that we're comfortable talking about. Um, And and one of the things that I was thinking about uh, in reference to that is that oftentimes the things, there are things that we don't talk about because they don't matter. Right? There are things in your life that you don't talk about because you're like, that's not important. I'm not going to bring that up. That's going to start a fight, whatever, 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 right? That happens in every relationship. You make decisions. But there are also things that we don't talk about because of how much they matter and because of how much they weigh on us, right? And so the question I was going to ask you guys was, like, what, what were the taboo topics in your house growing up? Like, What were the things that you didn't talk about? Who wants to go? Not my kids. All right. So so here's the thing. We all have family members or subject matters that we avoid. And oftentimes, like kind of like what you were talking about or what you were talking about or what you were talking about is, here's the thing. We don't avoid those things because they don't matter. Uh, we avoid those things because they really matter. And, and what you ultimately learn about avoiding things that matter is that not addressing them limits your best life. Right. And that's probably true because you've probably made a change If you have any amount of health or self-awareness, the things that you didn't talk about in your family growing up, you make a point to talk about in your family now because you realize that it limited your best life. Well, the church is a family, right? Like we believe that. We believe the church relates best as a family. And so I was thinking about like, what does the church family often not want to talk about? And one of the things, there's a lot of things the church family doesn't talk about, and we could do a whole series on that. Maybe I will at some point. But but one of the things that the church family I think has difficulty talking about or my experience of the church family since in the past 20 years or so has been the idea of the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting. It's right. So, so if you don't know this, I, I think most of you guys do. But, if, but if you don't know this, and there are going to be people listening, hopefully this week that that maybe don't know this, uh, that the the Christian Church, the Evangelical Church, which we consider ourselves part of, uh, believes that uh, that God is triune, that there's a Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right, and God the Father, everybody kind of gets that idea. God's our Father, we're God's children. That's pretty common, it's pretty accessible. Jesus is kind of next level for some people, right? Jesus is God's Son, only begotten, right? But most of us who go to church, most, and I would say everybody who goes to church here is comfortable talking about Jesus. But, but, but the third in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, can create weirdness, it can create confusion. It, it can, it, it can just make you a little bit nervous, right? If you have any experiences with that, they even like growing up, like the first, they didn't call it Holy Spirit. Like when I remember when I was young, what they call it? The Holy what? Ghost. Yeah. That sounds creepy to a kid, right? No, I don't want ghosts. I don't need not, I'm not putting down the ghost tours, Lindsay, but I don't like, I did not want that when, when I was a kid and it felt weird. And why are there ghosts in church? That sounds scary. Right. And so like, it's confusing Sometimes uh, you, you've maybe some people have experiences with people or with places that talk about the Holy Spirit or talk about the Spirit and, and that gets uncomfortable. Sometimes it gets, gets a little weird, right? But, but what I would say is that uh, probably the reason that we're not good or we avoid talking about the Holy Spirit isn't because the Holy Spirit doesn't matter, but it's actually because the Holy Spirit matters a lot. Um, and when you miss, just like when you miss on money in a family, the effects can be pretty bad, and that's why you don't talk about it, right? When when you miss on the Holy Spirit in the church, the effects can be pretty bad. And and that's a lot of why people don't talk about it. But we're going to spend at least the next three weeks, we'll see where we go from there, talking about the Holy Spirit. Because, because I believe, and at Highlands, we believe that the Holy Spirit is crucial. And if you want to know why we believe the Holy Spirit is crucial, first, I'll just say briefly, it's one of our four values is that we believe that only true transformation comes through the Spirit, right? And that's what we're looking for. We're not just looking for good deeds at Highlands. We're not just looking for good teaching. We're not just looking for good mindsets. We're looking for people to be transformed, for hearts to be transformed, for minds to be transformed, for lives and relationships, and ultimately for our community to be transformed right? And, and so that's crucial, but, but it's actually even much, much more than that. Like talking about the Holy Spirit, if you're like, man, three weeks with the Holy Spirit, I wish I had bailed out on this one. I'll come back for the food next week. I get it. But, but hang in there with me because I, I think that this is personally crucial, um, specifically for each person in here. So if y'all will hang in with me, we're going to go through a bunch of stuff today. And then when I get to the end, I'll share why I think that is personally crucial. I need to lay a little bit of groundwork. But so for the next three weeks, my goal is to talk about three things. Who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does. And what is this idea that the church has talked about since the beginning that some people call baptism in the Holy Spirit, some call being full of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit? This idea, which is probably the idea that's led to most of the frustration and confusion and avoidance around the Holy Spirit. And my my specific goals in each of these talks, so these are going to feel different probably than most weeks at Highlands, but my specific goals are this. One is I want to be, I want to be as clear as possible. I want to be as clear as possible because I want to avoid confusion. Two is I want to be as practical as possible. Like I I, I believe that if you show up here on a Sunday, I don't want to waste your time. And so I'm going to be practical as possible. This isn't just some feeling when we talk about the Holy Spirit. It's not just some way to feel good in church. But this is actually practical for the things, the goals that I believe we all have for our lives. And then the third thing I want to do is I want to start productive, life-giving and life-growing conversations around the Holy Spirit. Because if, if, if what we believe is true, that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, then, then the Holy Spirit and understanding the Holy Spirit matters as much as understanding God the Father and as much as understanding Jesus as God's Son. All right, so that's where we're going to jump in today. Who's the Holy Spirit? I'm going to go through a bunch of stuff and stop a little bit along the way for some some Q and A, if you guys will take it, and then we'll get to the practical part. You guys ready? Are you ready? Does anybody need coffee, water? You're good. Donuts. Guys in the back, are you ready? Because this matters for you, too. All right, Jack Stofer, you ready? You ready to dial in? Cool. Let's go. All right, so who is the Holy Spirit generally? All right, This is going to feel like a class, I promise, and we'll see how that feels at the end. But that's what it's going to feel like, so just hang in there. All right, so who's the Holy Spirit in general? The Holy Spirit, I said, is a member of the Trinity. We're not going to explain the Trinity here. Actually, Alan Bowling offered a class about a year and a half ago on the Trinity, and you missed your shot at it if you were going to do that. Um, I'm not going to explain that here. that's, That's classes and classes of things to try to explain the concept of the Trinity, except to say that the Bible indicates, if you read the Bible as a whole, the indication is that God is one God in three persons, right? And every metaphor you come up with is lacking. I'm just going to go and tell you. Every metaphor, people say it's like like H2O exists as gas, water, solid. It's all lacking. None of it grabs hold of the concept of what the Trinity is. But to understand that the Bible seems to say that part of the mystery of God is that God is one God in three persons, meaning separately identifying and operating presences that exist in one whole. And there's no really great metaphor, so that's why I'm going to avoid all of them today. Here are the things that would matter for us when talking about the Holy Spirit. Is that all three of those persons, which is what they're called persons, right? All three envelop God-level status in their personhood. None is subservient to any of the others, right? It's not like God's the coach, Jesus is the quarterback, and the Holy Spirit's the offensive line, right? Like it's not like that. They are—they all have equal God-level status, and so they all deserve the honor due to God. So if we're going to honor God, part of honoring God is honoring the Holy Spirit. And the last thing I want to say about the Trinity is that each of the three is best understood in light of what the Scripture tells us about them right? We don't just want to make up things about them because that can lead to bad situations as well. So we're really going to ground ourselves in the scriptures today. So like I said, second thing is that, that the Holy Spirit, like any part of the Trinity, is best understood as a person, not a thing. It's one of the mistakes people make. Call Holy Spirit an it, right? It, it's it, The Holy Spirit is not an it. See, even I do it. It's not an it, right? Here's the problem when you're talking about God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. You say God the Father and you feel like you can say he. It's a lot easier Listen, we don't believe God's a male or a female. We believe God embraces both. There's a whole historical concept to why God would identify as father in the Bible. We're not going to go there today. But the Holy Spirit's not a male or a female either. And so it's hard to say he, she, right? Like all those things. Um, but, but, but regardless of that, say the Holy Spirit's best understood as a person, not a thing. Just like God the Father and God the Son. And when you think about the Holy Spirit as a person, that means the Holy Spirit thinks. Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit leads. The Holy Spirit grieves. Scripture tells us all of those things. That the Holy Spirit is like active, like with personhood, right? Not just some sort of misty thing or a ghost, right? Like like flying around somewhere occasionally, doing things. I don't know, Lindsay. You might tell us ghosts do all those things too. I don't know, but but the Holy Spirit. Engages in personal and person like ways. One of the words used in the New Testament to describe the Holy Spirit that's a really good idea for understanding the Holy Spirit is parakletos. Parakletos is one of the words Jesus uses to talk about the Holy Spirit. And parakletos means counselor, encourager, comforter. So if you want to know who the Holy Spirit is, counselor, encourager, comforter, how many people would like a counselor, encourager, and a comforter that didn't cost them money? Yeah, it's a win. It's a big win. Right? So, this is good. When you think about the Holy Spirit, you think about that. The Bible says this is a counselor, encourager, or comforter. Jesus can seem really far away sometimes, really distant, walked around in first century Palestine, hard to identify with. Holy Spirit, counselor, encourager, comforter. Close, engaging. Right? And the Holy Spirit's the spirit of Jesus. The way that Jesus is present with people after his death and resurrection. So if you're ever like, I wish I could walk around with Jesus, if you ever said that, if I'd been there, if I could just ask him my questions, if I could just walk and see and understand, it must have been so much easier for people when Jesus was walking around. That's the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us. It's the spirit of Jesus and the way Jesus is present with people after his death and resurrection. All right, so those are some general ideas around the Holy Spirit, general ideas. All right, in the Old Testament, here we go, Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. You guys still with me? I know, we're going to motor through found at the beginning of the universe. The Holy Spirit was at the beginning, right? The Holy Spirit was there. God the Father was there. John tells us Jesus was also present there. All of the Trinity was in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's Genesis 1, 1 and 2, right? There from the beginning. Holy Spirit is not a late ad for anybody. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation, was hovering over creation, watching over, right, and waiting to create, to do something new, right? At the beginning of time, here's a big deal. If you want to think about, if you want to think about what the Holy Spirit does, if you want to jump ahead a little bit, but there's a big deal for who the Holy Spirit is, because a lot of understood what we do is, under, or who we are is understood a lot of times by what we do, but what, what the Holy Spirit did at the beginning of creation was create order out of chaos. Create order out of chaos, right? A lot of times the fear of talking about the Holy Spirit is that things are going to get chaotic. That's a real way to know that you're not understanding the Holy Spirit completely. It's what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit creates order out of chaos. Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't author chaos. The Holy Spirit creates order out of chaos. The Holy Spirit created the cosmos out of disorder right? So, so so, the first thing that we can know in that sense is the Holy Spirit's a creator, an orderer, and a new thing bringer. Do you need any of those? If you need any of those things in your life, the Holy Spirit is accessible for that. Creator, orderer, new thing bringer. All right, so moving on to the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit start to connect with people, start to interact with humans, by coming upon, as the way the Bible says it, coming upon specific people in specific times for specific things, all right? So that's the Old Testament, specific people for specific times for specific things, right? The first time we see this is in Exodus. Exodus chapter 31 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. That's the first time we see that language filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Could you use that? Could you use wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and all kinds of skills? Yes, amen, right? I learned that. Jane's out of town right now. I learned the second she leaves that I need all of those things (laughs) in a greater measure, that she fills that role for me so many times, and I need all of those things in a greater measure. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit does. Any of you that are artistic, here we go. Any of you that are artistic, listen to what? Listen to why the Holy Spirit fills Bezalel. To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. To cut and set stones. To work in wood. Anybody like to work with their hands, right? Work in wood. Like, I'm terrible with it. I'm like, cut, you know, twice, measure, 16 times, throw it away, and drive back to Home Depot. That is my life. The Holy Spirit would help me be better with working with wood. I would be very thankful for that. And to engage in all kinds of crafts. And you guys are crafty right? The image of the Holy Spirit, right? Think about this. Uh, uh, kind of a modern concept is the idea. Uh, if you guys, one of my favorite, I'm not a big classical music person, but one thing I love, I grew up loving this because I had to sing it multiple times in school, but Handel's Messiah. If you're not familiar with Handel's Messiah, it is one of the most incredible works of music that has ever been made. It's incredible, right? The, the depth, the width, the breadth of what it covers, Right, so so listen, I don't know if you know some of the backstory of this. In 1741, Handel suffered a stroke. Right? He had a paralyzed right arm, he had blurred vision, he was in bad health, and his sight was deteriorating. He couldn't get any work. And he was asked to set some parts of the Bible to music. And he composed Handel's Messiah in 24 days. In 24 days, he composed the whole thing. And this is what he said about it. He said about the process. He said, I did think I saw heaven open and I saw the very face of God. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes on people specifically for specific things. But it's not just that, right? We see it, uh, specifically, you can see it a lot in the book of Judges. You see the Holy Spirit coming on people. I'm not gonna go through all the passages here, but I'll say leadership is an issue. Gideon, Gideon's one of the judges. Some of you guys remember Gideon, he was the least and the smallest and whatever. And he said, I can't lead. And the Holy Spirit comes on Gideon to to lead people. Uh, The Holy Spirit comes on Samson. Some of you guys know the Samson story. Some of that's a little dicey, but but in the end, uh, the Holy Spirit gives Samson strength to overcome Right when, when I was looking at this story, when I, was, when I was reading about the things the Holy Spirit does, one of the stories I came across was about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. right We just celebrated his birthday. And this is an interesting story to talk about, the idea of strength to overcome, to give you a little bit more access to that. Um, I didn't know this story. I didn't know this story before this past week. But uh, in 1955 was the first time um, that Dr. King was arrested. And he was arrested Um, after protesting, um, he was arrested by cops for doing 30 miles an hour in a 25 mile per hour zone, right? And he got arrested and taken to jail, right? And then he was released and he got home. And you would think, man, that's enough. That's a tired night. He gets home and there's a phone call and it's a death threat from somebody in the area. And I won't even use the words that they used and what they said to him. And the story um, that Dr. King tells himself is that he was ready to quit. He was growing in fear. And he was sitting at his kitchen table having a cup of coffee. And and his thoughts were interrupted by what he calls a sudden notion that at once intensified his desperation and clarified his options, he says. In his own words, he says, something said to me, you can't call on daddy now. You can't call on mama. You've got to call on that something in that person that your daddy used to tell you about. That power that can make a way out of no way. And so he says with his head buried in his hands, he bowed over his kitchen table and he prayed. And this is what he said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I still think I'm right. I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And now I'm afraid. And I can't let people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. Some of you have felt that way in your own lives, not to the degree that Dr. King felt it and not probably to the weight that he felt it, but you have felt that way. He said, the people are looking to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. And he says he heard a voice that said this, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. Then he said he heard specifically the voice of Jesus. He said, I heard the voice of Jesus saying still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Right. That's in the scripture. No, never alone. No, never alone. This is in a speech he gave about this. He said he promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. And as that voice washed over the stains of this wretched caller, I reached a spiritual shore beyond fear and apprehension. I experienced the presence of the divine as I'd never experienced him before. Almost at once, the pages are sticking together. That never happened to Dr. King. Almost at once, my fears began to go. And King said of that moment, my uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The one who does that. He gave wisdom to Deborah, we see in the book of Judges. Right? And then on and on and on. Creator, orderer, new thing bringer. Practical for the moment that we're in need. But in the Old Testament, comes and goes, comes and goes, right? Comes on people, leaves. Does, comes on people for a task, then goes goes to somebody else. Generally, it's only one or a handful of people at a time, mostly men. I'm sorry, ladies, that's the way it works. Not all men, but mostly. But as the Old Testament goes on, there's this promise that starts to come up from prophets about the Holy Spirit. And that's the next piece we're going to look at, right? In the Old Testament, suddenly there's this thing that uh, that they start to call, that people in Israel, that rabbis start to call, the promise of the Father, all right? The promise of the Father. And it starts with this idea that there's going to be a different kind of covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33 this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will transform them. It won't just be some exterior thing that they try to grab hold of. I will put it in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so there's just move. There's going to be a different way that God is going to interact with people. Goes on in Ezekiel chapter 36 who says, you're going to have a different kind of heart. You're going to have a different kind of heart, Ezekiel says. Chapter 36, verse 26 and 27 says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. New covenant, this is the covenant. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Right? That, oh, I read, the, I read the same one twice. Which one? Are okay, I wrote down the same one twice. Do you have the Ezekiel one up? All right, I'm, I'm going to, Emma, you want to read it? No, she said. All right. So here's what he said. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out of the countries, gather you from all over and bring you back to your own land. I'll pour pure water over you and scrub you clean. I'll give you a new heart. There it is. Put a new spirit in you. Here it is. New heart. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I will put my spirit in you And make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. You'll once again live in the land I gave you. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. Sorry about that. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. So God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you collectively, in you, my people. And then he clarifies it even more in Joel chapter 2. Right, Moving on in Joel chapter 2, he says, okay, so who's that promise going to be? It's going to be for everybody. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's a big deal, right? To include daughters in that is a big deal. It was a huge deal for them. If you think, if you say what you want about patriarchy and men right now, it, we got nothing on Old Testament Israel. He said, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see vision. Even on my servants, even on people that are the lowest in society, he says, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And basically what he's saying is this. Here's what the Old Testament is saying about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who will be for all people, for all things, to create an abundant life. The Holy Spirit will be the one who is for all people, for all things, that lead to an abundant life. Got it? So that's the Old Testament. Moving in the New Testament. You guys need to stretch. Bathroom break. Everybody good? Jack, you hanging in? Perfect. All right. Will. Will needs to stretch. All right. Cool. That's fine. Go. I'll do, we'll do this at home. All right. Getting in the New Testament. Getting in the New Testament. Here you go. Holy Spirit swirling around the birth and the early life of Jesus, right? You see this with Mary. God says, I will send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be with you, and the Holy Spirit will be my end of the bargain of this child. My end of the covenant bargain. Come on, David. My end of the covenant of this child with you will be the seal of the Holy Spirit. That's how you'll know. So then, you know, the story, Mary goes to Elizabeth's house and they're talking back and forth. And all of a sudden she's like, hey, the Holy Spirit has John the Baptist in or is in John the Baptist in Elizabeth. And he's like, hey, I think that's Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, Mary says, yeah, this is Jesus. And so there's that connection. The Holy Spirit is there. And then most importantly, in terms of New Testament understanding of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, um, two things happen. Two things happen with John the Baptist's life. You guys know John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. He was the one who went ahead to prepare a way. And this is what John said. He said, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's that idea. Baptism, filling, fullness of the Holy Spirit again coming out. He says, the one who's coming after me, he said, the thing you need to know about him first and foremost is he will baptize with the Holy Spirit with fire. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's only one of the four Gospels that records John saying, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Only one of them records that. All four of them. Record John saying this, that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit with fire. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that John didn't say it. What I'm saying is all four Gospels said this is the emphasis. Why does Jesus come to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world? So that he can be the one who makes a way for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And fire, you're going to see an emphasis from Jesus. Jesus promises the same experience to his followers again and again and again. We're just going to hit a couple of them. John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, Jesus says this, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, Right? That's that's crucial to us as, as Christians, right? as we think believing in Jesus is crucial. This is what he says the payoff is. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. That was meant to be the spirit. The spirit will fill you up. Whoever believes in me will experience the Holy Spirit in a new and different way. And the last thing that Jesus says to his followers after his resurrection, right? We know we hear about the great commission, but he, and he says at the end of that, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the progress, Jesus says. This is what we came to this point to do. We're going to look at it in the next couple of weeks. He, there's this long prayer in John where Jesus really explains this in depth. And he's like, listen, this is why I'm going in the first place. Because the whole goal of this was to get you to this point where you could experience the Holy Spirit. Jesus thought the Holy Spirit was so crucial that he needed to be gone. That's how crucial the Holy Spirit was to Jesus. And so then it happens. Acts chapter 2. A lot of you guys are familiar with this. We call this Pentecost. This is what we call it a lot of times. It says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them who all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, Here's something we have to cover. All right. Holy Spirit shows up, fills everyone, and it's weird. It's weird and it's a bit confusing. It, it, the, the, the whole place shakes. They all start speaking in languages that they don't know. And what do people, anybody know? What do people, what's the first thing people say? These guys are what? Drunk. Yeah, they're drunk. So there was probably other stuff going on too. They're like, these weirdos are drunk. They are acting strange. They are awkward. And you can tell that something's going on that would make people think they were drunk because Peter steps in. And he's like, "Nah, they're not drunk. It's too early to get drunk, <laughs> right? He doesn't say, like, that's a silly thing to say. He's like, I can totally understand where you're coming from, right? And so it is weird. It is a bit confusing, and, and we'll talk about that more over the next couple of weeks. But But here's the thing that orders it. Here's the thing that moves the chaos to order. It's really good. Peter goes back to the scriptures and he explains it and he helps people understand it by the scriptures. He doesn't say, well, if you don't get it, you're just not spiritual enough. He doesn't say, well, if you don't get it, then God doesn't love you and you need to go away. He says, I get it. It's weird and it's a bit confusing. Let me explain what's going on. And he goes back to this Joel passage. He said, this is what Joel was talking about when he said, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. This is what Joel was talking about when he said your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. This is what God was talking about when he said everybody, all, even servants, both men and women, will receive the Spirit. And then he goes on and he says this promise is for you and for your sons and daughters and for their sons and daughters and for everyone, everywhere. That's the Holy Spirit. That is who the Holy Spirit is. It lands, he lands, she lands, the Spirit lands by saying, I am the one who is for everybody everywhere who needs more than they're getting on their own. All right. So I told you guys I would get back to why it matters to you. Why does this matter to you? And maybe it doesn't, but, but I would just ask you this question do you need more? Do you need more somewhere in your life? Right? Do you need more? Are you tired of having to renew your own hope and strength in areas of your life? Are you tired of having to renew your own hope and your own strength about your marriage? Are you tired of having to renew your own hope and your own strength about your family? Are you tired of having to renew your own hope and your own strength about your job, about your future, right? Do you need more somewhere? Are you tired of constantly having to pick up the pieces on your own and try to positive way, positive think your way back into putting them together, right? And if you don't need more, maybe you're like, I'm fine, which is probably not true, but you may think that. Do you guys think the church needs more? than what it is currently putting out into the world. Does the church need to be more of a place that people can look when they have chaos and find life and order and hope? Does the church need more in terms of how we engage? Do you feel like the church is falling short? And then the last question I was that maybe you don't care about the church. Maybe you're like, I don't care, let them do their thing. But does the world need more? Does the world need more than just what I can give it, than just what you can give it, than just what my strength can provide for it, than just what your creativity can do, than just what your tender heart can do, right? That's who the Holy Spirit is the one who brings more, the one who brings better, the one who brings strength, right? The one who picked Martin Luther King back up when Martin Luther King, think about it, Martin Luther King could not pick himself back up. And the Holy Spirit could do it. Right? That's what a living God means. That's what it means to shift from just thinking about God and just trying to be a good person to experience what the Bible means and what Christians mean when we talk about a living God. That's who the Holy Spirit is, right? Personally, do you need order out of chaos? Do you need order out of chaos? Would you look at an area in your life? Maybe it is your mental health. Maybe it is your finances. Maybe it is those things that you don't want to talk about, right? Do you need order out of chaos? Do you need God to be a little more personal than words on a page or a guy talking to you about God in a church? Are you willing to show up in terms of engaging the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is? Because that is who will come back to you. Talk about that highlands, just show up, right? It's not about just showing up in this space. It's about will you show up? Will you show up when you need more? Will you show up in front of God and say, Holy Spirit, I need you? There's this thing that the uh, church has talked about for centuries. John Wesley uh, was a guy who talked a lot about it. It's called the means of grace, right? Like, why do we read the Bible? Why do we preach from the Bible? Because we believe it's a means of grace. We believe it's a place where we can find the Holy Spirit. Why do we sing songs? So many of my friends who hate church are like, you guys go in there and it's like a weird concert and I hate it and I don't want to be a part of it. So I know people who have skipped worship and shown up for the teaching because the worship seems so weird to them. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Like, I love listening to Mark and Kim and Justin. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, this is like, this is like James Taylor for my soul, right? Like, it's so good. But the reason we sing in here is because we believe that worship is a means of grace. We believe worship is a place where we can access the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to show up to access the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to open your Bible when it makes no sense to you? Are you willing to flip on a worship song when you've got chaos in your life? Are you willing to lean in sacrificially? That's a means of grace. Jesus said, when you do things for the least, you did them for me. Are you willing to just show up? And then the second thing is in our community. When we think about God, are we thinking beyond ourselves? Right? Do you know somebody outside of this room? Do you know somebody outside of your life who needs to know that God is living and active? How are they going to know unless you become the means of grace for them? Unless you become that vehicle of the Holy Spirit for them that God is living and active. That's the other part of showing up. I was reminded of that the other day. I had an experience in my life. And I was like, oh, just show up. That's not just a fun slogan. That means when I go out into the world, I'm responsible for that. I do these weird things, right? I mean, they're weird to some people. I go play trivia every Tuesday night, no matter who shows up, I go play. And it's a pain sometimes, and I don't want to go, and all of these things. But I go, and every Tuesday before I go, I spend time praying and I say, God, will you fill me up so that I can be a means of grace for the the waitstaff, so that I can be a means of grace for the hostess and the bartender, so that I can be a means of grace for the persons, for the people that are running trivia. Are you willing to just show up like that in these other areas in your life? Are you showing up? Are you serving as a means of grace? Are you serving as a vehicle of the spirit? Or are you at best neutral when you show up? We need better than neutral at this point. I, I feel like things stay the way they are. That ain't great. right? That's why it matters. So quick practical application, and I'll close this with a prayer. Quick practical application. This week, this should be fun. I feel like this should be fun or maybe I'm weird. You guys vote. But go on a chaos scavenger hunt. Just make it fun. Go look for chaos. Be like, what's chaotic right now? Where do I find chaos? Is there chaos in my family? Is there chaos in my school? Is there chaos in my workplace? Is there chaos in my marriage? Is there chaos in uh, my extended family and the lives of people that I know? Go on a chaos scavenger hunt. When you find it, when you find it, look for opportunities to pray. Look for opportunities to just sort of personally worship God. Look for opportunities to dig into revelation. Greatest place to get revelation we saw it today is from the scriptures. It's easy access. Easy access. You don't have to feel or think anything. You just open it up and you say, God, tell me about you. That's what Peter did. Peter said, I know this does look crazy. Let me look back in the book, see if I can cheat and figure out what this is. Oh, it's Joel. Right? Look for revelation. Revelation and look for sacrificial service opportunities. When you see chaos, can you say, how could I serve? But don't serve so that you can be a good person. Not this time. You can do that next week. This week, serve and say, Holy Spirit, could this be a way that you could get more of me and that you could express yourself to these people? Right? And then here's really what I want you to do. You guys, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but this is a huge thing. If you would start doing this, I promise you, like you would notice a change in your life. Record what happens. Record what happens. Record how you feel after you engage the means of grace. Just see. I'm not saying that it's going to be awesome. Just record it. Put it down. And if it's terrible, blame God. Talk to God. Say, that stunk. And I didn't think that was the way it was supposed to go. Because you know what that is? You know what it is when you tell God that stunk and I didn't think that was the way it was supposed to go? It's prayer. Aha, means of grace. And eventually you'll reap what you sow. So that's it. That's the practical application. I hope this was somewhat helpful for you as we engage these things. This is really foundational as we get into what the Holy Spirit does and, and this idea of being filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think it'll be it'll move a little quicker. Um, let's pray. God, thank you for these people. Thank you for today. And thank you more than anything for the, for the Holy Spirit. God, I just confess this, the, the Holy Spirit is uh, the access that I even have in my own history um, just causes me to, to stumble through some of this, um, but I'm going to keep showing up because I know that I can't do this on my own. God, I know that I need a strength. I know that I need a hope. I know that I need an ability. I know that I need these things that I'm never going to have on my own. It's Holy Spirit, as I show up, I I pray that through your grace, you would fill me this week. And I pray the same for the people here. In Jesus' name, amen.